Are you in HR Department of One trying to figure out how to balance task and strategy while keeping up with changes in regulatory compliance? Do you need a fresh outlook on old topics? Then stop what you're doing, my friends. Grab your coffee and get ready to recharge. If you have people, you have problems to solve and things to do. I'm your host, Brenda Neckbottle, a 20-year human resource professional ready to explore the HR industry with veterans of business and life with fresh eyes and new ideas. Learn about the rapidly evolving changes in employment law around the country, as well as new tactics to deploy and build engagement in your workforce. If you're looking to implement new best practices to make your job easier in HR, then this podcast is for you. Hello, everyone, and I'd like to welcome you back to the Best Practices in Human Resource podcast. This show is all about helping you take the guesswork out of understanding the human resource side of business and work through an immensely and very quickly changing landscape. I'm Brenda, your host and a practicing HR consultant, and I'm here to help you weed through the mass amount of human resource information and help take the stress out of defining your best practices for you and your company. Now, this podcast really is for anybody who's in a position of managing human capital. There's a great deal to this, and having the information and the guidance is going to help you reach your objectives day after day, week after week, month after month. So if you're a returning listener, thank you very much for your continued support. I'm so grateful that you are here and you continue to join me on this adventure and continue to learn more about what's going on in this landscape. But if this is your first time listening in, we've got another really great show that's going to help you move your objectives forward. So what if you could get information faster? So keep listening to this episode as I'm going to provide you with a variety of resources that will help you in managing your company's HR function. Now I remember when I first started out how challenging it was when surfing the internet to know which website was providing an accurate piece of information or not. The internet was extremely different back then and today through experience and exposure I've been able to spot the good content over the heavily saturated and duller topics. I'm in the people business and trust me that's challenging enough. So there's so much when it comes to the HR landscape that in in and of itself is just a challenge. My mission is to work smarter not harder to find and share the right resources because I know what it feels like to be in your shoes. So that is my commitment to you. I'm going to provide you with a number of useful resources both in this episode and on the affiliates page of my website that lists the top companies I've worked with and I know through my relationships and experiences will provide solid solutions for your problems. I'm here to help you connect with these vendors, the folks, the people, and the services that will certainly ease that pressure of trying to cipher any overwhelming or underwhelming amount of data, kind of depending upon where you look, to help you in your day-to-day practices. So in short, I'm going to load you up with a number of opportunities. 
So today in the studio, we have, once again, Lola, the veteran comfort dog, who is more than likely going to wind up chiming in. We've got, it's a beautiful day out. You probably hear the, the church bell ringing down at the hall, the end of the, at the end of the street. It's beautiful. The windows are open. So um, she's definitely been acting and letting me know who's out there. And then her lovely assistant, Champ, the lovable wonder dog, um, who typically is snoring around here somewhere. But most importantly, we're going to talk about <clears throat> today's hop topic. Uh, we're going to look at some major employment law changes that are taking place across the nation. We're going to, our feature is actually, we're bringing in a, a friend of mine and an employment attorney, and that's going to be how to prepare to talk to your employment attorney with Christina Vecchera with Jackson Lewis. She's absolutely awesome. You're going to really enjoy listening to her. Um, got some announcements. We have some free resources, and we're going to go ahead and close the show with our quote of the day. But before we begin, I want to make sure that you folks understand that the information through this podcast is for informational purposes only and not for the purposes of providing legal advice. You should contact your attorney to obtain legal advice with respect to any particular issue. I'm not an attorney, but I do understand how things work in the legal landscape. But if you don't have an employment attorney, feel free. You can reach out to me and I may be able to uh, refer one through you through my affiliates program. So today's hot topic, <clears throat> before I really get into this, I want to make sure something's very clear and that this is not a forum to engage in political discussions about the current administration, about Congress, or anything that is of a political nature. I, I don't bring that to the show. What I am going to bring is the actual facts of the matter revolving around the Affordable Care Act and the potential reasons as to why the president has decided to push this particular topic back in his agenda. So this is exactly what it's about, is the ACA and what it means to U.S. citizens like us, okay? So really any president <clears throat> within the first 18 months that's the target zone that they have to successfully implement any agenda after taking taking place in order in an office in order to make any type of significant change. Now, after the first 18 months, we as a country then start facing midterm elections, and if the majority of the president's agenda is not fulfilled by that point, then the back half of the presidential term is actually restructured, and a lot of that stems from having to, you're going to have a midterm election, which means that you're going to have a minor shift in the country in supporting legislation across the nation, which is going to impact the agenda. So therefore, a president is going to want to be as effective as humanly possible as they continue through their term. And, and that's anybody, okay? But there has been a great deal of movement to make adjustments to the ACA, and one that I'm particularly fond of is the elimination of the individual mandate. And that is the penalties that are imposed on employees who opt to not carry any medical coverage at all. Now, we're not here to make judgment on people as to why they would or wouldn't cover, you know, take medical coverage. That's also not what this is about. What this is about is actually talking about some of the benefits that are coming back to us as a result of efforts not to eradicate, but 
efforts to make changes to the Affordable Care Act that are actually putting financial pressure on the United on, on the citizens of the U.S. And I am absolutely in favor of eliminating the individual mandate. <clears throat> now, and, and part of the reason is because, even though I said this isn't political, I don't believe any governmental body has the right to tell an employee or another citizen how they should care for their welfare. And um, if we start getting down that road, then, you know, it's, it's just not a good situation. Now, another segment of the ACA that I have also advocated on Capitol Hill, and I said, <laughs> again, this is not a political, but sometimes you do have to educate lawmakers. Um, I was able to do this through the Society of Human Resource Management. It was a really great opportunity. I met with two senators and we met with um, the local um, House representative down here in Virginia Beach, who I also know well. And it was the suspension and the removal of the Cadillac tax. And the Cadillac tax is a stiff tax that is imposed on employers who are willing to provide premium benefit plans as an offering to their employees. And I mean, it was an astronomical amount of money that would have been taxed. And the thing is, is that, you know, companies that will offer a Cadillac plan typically are going to be small businesses. So when you're imposing what seems to be a 40% tax on top of a company already spending at a premium for a really good health care plan because they want to provide for their companies, that just doesn't seem right. So I was very fortunate to go up to the Hill and actually meet with those uh, teams and, and discuss that. But understand, look, there's no one solution to addressing health care in this nation, and it is going to remain a very complex issue as we if we continue to proceed into the next presidential election. It has been an issue for a long time. Um, it's also highly likely that the president <clears throat> has moved his ACA objectives as part of his second term campaign in order to work with the new Congress coming down. So we're, we are expecting to see ACA coming back up in the next term, regardless of whether it is the current administration for a second term or if it is a new administration for their first term. It is unlikely that ACA is going to come off of the docket of conversation any point time and soon. So hang in there, stay tuned, see what this is all about. There are really great benefits to ACA, but there's also a lot of things that just really aren't flowing and aren't working. So it'll be interesting to see in the next, in the upcoming election, where both sides are going to fall on this what campaign promises are going to be made. In addition to that, what is actually going to come out once the election has uh, taken place and um, uh, January will kick in for the following of the year, January after all that. So anyway, so stay tuned. So that's going to be an interesting one. Okay, enough of that. So let's take a look at what's going on with employment law uh, changes and headlines across the U.S. because there's quite a bit going on out there. So we're going to start at the national level. So for government contractors, give you guys a heads up. The OFCCP is proposing a revised scheduling letter for compliance checks. So be on the lookout for that. <clears throat> that information is going to be coming down once once they've made the determination as to what it is that they are going to be doing with those letters. So stay tuned. That's to be determined yet. 
Um, also, in the, at the national level, the Supreme Court has ruled in a case that employment class arbitration must now be expressly addressed in contracts, and cha which changes the nature of a company's ability to enforce arbitration. So simply put, if a company is going to use arbitration, it must be expressly permitted in the actual arbitration agreement. Okay, so for that's typically something that we see larger companies doing, but anybody who is using arbitration as a means of resolving employment-related concerns, just know that it needs to be well-written. It's something that you don't want to take on by yourself. You definitely want to get an employment attorney involved or something like that. Also, uh, the Supreme Court is expected to be ruling uh, a, I don't know if this would be called a landmark case or not, but it's, all, it's looking a lot like it. Um, but we are expecting a ruling to come down from the Supreme Court to determine if Title VII, and that's, you know, Civil Rights Act, uh, Title VII is the component of the Civil Rights Act which prohibits discrimination, of, you know, with the different types of classes and nomenclatures that are involved in that. Um, they are going to be ruling whether or not <clears throat> is, if Title VII will actually prohibit discrimination based on sexual orientation, transgender status, and gender identity. Now, you might be thinking, well, when you're looking at all the different things, so you've got national origin, you've got um, religion, you know, you've, you have age, and there's, there's several of them. But when we get to sex, what that specifically means is either you're a male or a female. It, it does not cover sexual orientation or preference. It does not cover transgender status and it does not currently cover gender identity. So it just simply means gender. That's it, male or female. So there are some states that actually have an extension to the law on that. So if you look at California, California it's unlawful to discriminate against anybody who is of these three, of these three classifications. Uh, sexual orientation, transgender status, and gender identity. So for the longest time, it was uh, uh, just really sexual orientation. So if somebody was a homosexual, you could not discriminate against them. So um, that's going to be interesting to see how this rules because transgender and gender identity are relatively fresh topics. So definitely, definitely, uh, we're going to be watching that one. <clears throat> uh, also at the national level, um, the federal court has ruled, and we talked about this a couple of times, and we talk about the EEOC, um, you know, requiring people to collect um, compensation data through the EEO1 report. Uh, the courts has determined, federal court has determined, that the EEOC is to collect compensation data no later than September 30th of 2019. So, uh, so that is that is now in full-fledged motion. Um, over in California, there is a bill in consideration to prohibit employment race discrimination based on hairstyles. So we're going to, hopefully we'll be able to see a ruling on that as well. Um, if, it, if it comes through, then we'll definitely uh, share that information. Um, don't hear a lot out of Indiana, but I thought I'd share this one because I thought it was interesting. Um, the Court of Appeals actually approved the dismissal of an employee who left for work voluntarily to actually go and testify at a hearing. And what this does is this now poses the question if an employee is required to be subpoenaed in order to go testify in a case. Now, I haven't read the whole details on it, but 
I think that's a really interesting um, aspect <clears throat> that, you know, these, when we talk about the lay of the law, right, so we actually have law, law, laws <laughs> that are in place, and then we have case law, you know, as some of the examples that I just mentioned earlier could turn into case law. But now you've got something like this, and this really does tend to shape the landscape of how companies work because it's not it's not like a case law put into place it's a result of a case which kind of brings it down to yet another level of how are companies going to operate moving forward over in Maine uh, Maine has imposed a ban on inquir inquiring on salary history so again patchwork law is starting to is continuing to spread throughout the country over Massachusetts um, they have released information regarding the new paid family and medical leave that is uh, coming out folks if you're in Massachusetts you are going to need to know what's going on before it actually goes into effect July 1st so make sure that you're reading up you're partnering with your employment attorneys um, you know we can do a little help and researching if you want to go ahead and reach out um, to my team that's fine be happy to do that but make sure that you understand fully what's going on um, with an effective date of July 1st New Mexico we don't hear anything from them um, has actually initiated uh, the ban the box as well so for those of you who don't know what ban the box is that simply means that companies cannot inquire in the application process if an individual has any type of criminal record that can only happen once a pending offer has been submitted and it is discovered in a background check uh, over in Texas we've got a little motion over there Texas has actually classified gig workers as contractors so we're definitely seeing some motion in the gig economy as well over in Dallas, Dallas actually has passed a city ordinance mandating paid sick leave. So those of you who are down in that area, make sure that you're staying on top of that. And then over in Wisconsin, last but not least, the governor is actually launching an employee misclassification enforcement project. And what that means is that <clears throat> the state is going to be taking a look at, um, through an audit process of some kind, they're going to be wanting to know if an individual is appropriately classified as a non-exempt employee or as an exempt employee so the fair labor standards classifications are going to be kicking in um, as part of this and that's what they're going to be looking for and that is what we have across the nation so I am really excited to welcome to the show Christina Vecchera. Uh, she is an employment attorney with Jackson Lewis, who I have had the privilege of working with for a number of years. Um, Christina represents employers in federal and state court lawsuits. She does uh, agency investigations and addresses charges covering a wide range of statutes and subjects like anti-discrimination, civil rights laws, wrongful terminations, uh, disability accommodations and access wage and law, uh, wage and hour laws in addition to government contracting as well so she runs the full gamut of employment law essentially um, she has litigated class and collective action lawsuits including uh, those under FLSA discrimination and a wide variety of other topics she's also represents clients in mediation and arbitration before various national and state entities and as a part of her counseling practice she provides daily counseling and training to management to help employers actually avoid litigation 
Uh, she assists clients with employment agreements, handbooks, background checks, drug screening, uh, drug testing issues, drug screening issues, disciplinary actions. Uh, she has represents employers before the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, National Labor Relations Board, the Department of Labor, and numerous other state agencies such as the Virginia Employment Commission and the Virginia Department of uh, Labor and Industry. So Christina speaks extensively on various employment topics, including uh, to the Virginia and Hampton Road Society of Human Resource Managers, uh, the Virginia State Bar and Employment Section, Equal Opportunity Commission, and a, a wide variety of other organizations. So without further ado, I would like to introduce you to Christina Becerra. All right, gang, we have got a very special guest who I've known for, oh, my gosh, it's been, it has to be, what, six, seven years now that we've known each other? And I'd sense. like, yeah, and I'd like to welcome Christina Vaquera to the show. Uh, she is an employment attorney with Jackson and Lewis and somebody that I have trusted my clients with implicitly for, at the, yeah, about six, seven years. So Welcome. Well, thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be here, and I think we have a fun topic to talk about, so yeah. that should be absolutely. good. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that Christina is very good at is having conversations with clients who may not necessarily be used to talking to an attorney of any kind, especially when it comes to employment matters. Um, and that's what we were talking about is how to talk about things, best practices around how to prepare for your conversation with an attorney. So let's, let's go ahead and just dive in on that. So over the years, what are some of the things that you've seen that have hindered a client, be a new client or an existing client that may not necessarily have made the calls as effective or like they really didn't know how to broach a situation? Like, can, you, can you share some of the things with me that you run into like obstacles? Yeah, sure. I mean, I've, probably the the most frequent um, egregious issue that we run into is when people wait too long to call us. Mm -hmm. um, we like to try and be as preventative as we can. I mean, our goal, contrary to what people may think, is to keep folks out of the courtroom. Um, litigation is ridiculously expensive. Um, we don't we don't like to have to see our clients suffer through that if we can avoid it. And the best way to do that is to engage in preventative consultation with your counsel. Um, get to them, talk to them before you make decisions that uh, can come back and and uh, cause problems. You know, before you make that termination decision that you you know you've got concerns over, before you you know do that re you know reduction in force um, with your employees. Um, you know, reaching out and talking to them in advance. It, you know, I know a lot of folks want to try and save money, so they try and do it themselves. And by doing that, they wait too long. And at that point, we're down the path and we've got a situation where someone's either made a claim, filed a lawsuit, um, hired an attorney, made a demand letter. Um, and, you know, so we're way down the path. And at that point, it's going to be more expensive. Um, but backing up from there, I mean, in terms of just talking to counsel, um, you know, a lot of it is sharing everything with your attorney, um, you know, and being really candid with them and, and letting them know 
the entirety of the situation. Um, it's kind of like when you go to your doctor, you shouldn't be lying to your doctor about whether or not you had a donut before you got there and they're telling you that you need to lose weight. Um, you know, your doctor's going to know <laughs> if that's the case. Right, <laughs> and it's it's the same thing with with your attorney. I mean, like you know, if a problem, if a situation is going to blow up that you're talking to them about, all that's going to come out in the wash anyway at some point. So you're better mm-hmm. off telling your counsel early. This is what happened. These are the mistakes. These are the challenges. These are the issues. Here's what I see as problematic. I mean, really sharing with them everything that happened because, um, and 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 knowing all the facts and sharing all those with them because it's not just sharing what you do know and making sure you're not selective and weeding out stuff, but also sharing everything because what may be inconsequential in your mind about a situation could make a huge difference in the risk analysis or the advice that we might give as an employment counsel. Um, So really just being knowledgeable about the facts, making sure you're going to share everything. Um, Documents are the other key piece. Uh, We love our paper in employment law. And and we really do want to see that. So when you're talking to us, like, hey, should I terminate this person? Um, What's the risk? You know, they've been talking that they might come after us. What do you think the risks are? It's going to really help us to assess that even better, not just knowing the facts, but seeing seeing the written the the write up, seeing the performance evaluations seeing the emails back and forth that may that may become an issue. Um, all of that, you know, you may think that you're gonna, your attorney's going to ca- charge you a lot more to read all of that and that you're going to do better off and you're going to save time or save money if you paraphrase to the counsel about what that is. Uh, long term to me, that doesn't save time. Most attorneys are incredibly fast readers. We're not going to be, you know, you're talking the difference between five or ten minutes or a half hour sometimes uh, that you might save. But what you lose in translation, what you miss in paraphrasing could be very costly down the road. Mm-hmm. So it's just really, I think, being being open, being prepared to, to speak with your counsel by having the necessary documentation and facts gathered, those are all key pieces. Yeah. Something I really liked what you were talking about earlier was the fact that having everything ready to go <clears throat> during the con- during the conversation. So there have been a number of times even when we've worked together where I've called up and I said, okay, listen, I got a situation. Um, I've already sent over all of the paperwork to you. <clears throat> Can we look at this while you're on the line? Because I want to, I want to, I, I want to, you know, identify where the key call outs are on this so you're at least aware what I really need you to look at and then you come back and tell me okay I I got that thank you but there's a couple other things I want to talk about so at least you know in our dialogue we've got some form of like a roadmap to the conversation and ultimately you know what we want to get out of it I mean granted that you know every time we call we want to make sure that we've got a win but it's the same thing and you know, when when your employees come to you with a problem or your managers come to you, especially if you're a practitioner, we've all been there. And, and so is Christine. We, we, we're, we're swimming in the same lane on this aspect, and that is, is if our employees and managers are summarizing and paraphrasing without us digging into, okay, then what happened, and, you know, getting, getting deeper into asking why at least five times so we get to the root of the problem, we are conveying that same information over to the employment attorney, and what that does is that actually stretches out the conversation, and that's mentioned inadvertently. If the manager says, oh, yeah, I forgot to tell you something, it can completely change the whole direction of the effort, which is time and money and effort and a lot of frustration on everyone's part. Right, exactly. 
Yeah, and it's and it is like you said too. I mean, and fleshing that out with the supervisors or the managers that are involved in advance or ahead of time is always helpful too. Because you know, it's it's frustrating. I know to clients when they call and we are trying to get that information. I say, well, wait a minute. I think we need to talk to the manager. We need to talk to the mm-hmm. supervisor. We can't take action right now. Uh, as much of that as can be done in advance, or making those folks available to talk to the attorney when you're talking to them is definitely uh, very helpful. And I have a lot of clients that do just what you described, Brenda, which is they're going to send me a very quick synopsis like, hey, I need to talk to you about this. We're wondering whether or not we should do X, Y, and Z. They're going to attach the documents that I think they they think I need to see. Uh, and they're going to say, I'm going to call you in a little bit. Can you start taking a look at it? I point your attention to the following. And I do. I take a look at it. It gives me time to digest. It gives me time to, to write them back and say, hey, can you also send me, based on what I'm reading, X, Y, and Z? Again, so I can read it before we have that phone call mm-hmm. or that discussion, um, and we can try and maximize, you know, our time together as best we can. Right. And not to mention, it, in doing that, so the maximization, the effectiveness of the conversation is, is there in advance, right, Having putting your best foot forward. But also what it does is it eliminates the need for the attorney to actually chase the information out of you. <laughs> right. It's like you get investigated after you do your own investigation. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Yeah. We prefer not to have to ask, you know, 50 questions if we can avoid right. it. You know, as much of you, as much information as you already know, is is I think helpful and makes the conversation a lot easier. Right. Now, the other thing that is what working with your employment attorney is a really big benefit to, and I've I've utilized this a number of times in my dealings with Christina. Um, even when it wasn't on a specific case, I would say, Hey, listen, I'm working on something. I'm pretty sure I know the answer to this question, but I want to just bounce it off of you just to make sure that what is in my head and what I'm about ready to do is in line with best practices, what is lawful, what is not, and is there anything that I'm missing that I may not necessarily know. So it's like, you know, there's things that we know that we know in life and the things that we don't know, we know that we don't know in life, but then there's that phone call which leads us potentially to the realm of we don't know what we don't know. Right, and that could be, and that a lot of times is just a five-minute phone call where you're just right. gut-checking yourself, like, hey, this is what I think. I think I'm on the right path, and you talk to your counsel for five minutes, and you cooperate that you're right, or maybe you did miss something, and, you're, you know, your attorney in five minutes is going to stop you from making what could be, you know, a six-figure or more mistake down the road. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's very effective preventative use uh, of your outside counsel. Yeah. There have been times where I've consulted my, you know, own clients and I've said, listen, make the call to the employment attorney because that $300 bill that you're going to get is going to be less painful to pay than the $300,000 court case you're going to have to defend. Right. Yeah. And and I think a lot of people have misconceptions about what attorneys do. I mean, we don't talk to talk to clients and say, okay, no, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to put that down and research that and get back to you in, in a week with hours upon hours of research. I mean, in, in employment law, 80% of the time, the issues that we're dealing with are issues that are fairly routine, 
for us as employment counsel, and we know the law, and we're trying to stay up to date on everything, and we're a lot of times going to be able to talk that through without any need for expensive research or assignments or anything else. I mean, it can be very cost-effective, and when we can't, we're going to we're going to tell the client that, like that's something we've not run into before. We're going to need to look at it, mm-hmm. um, and you know, you can don't be afraid to ask your attorney. You know, don't don't let that stop you from calling. You're better off calling and then asking your attorney, okay, well, how long do you think that's going to take you? Or, you know, I, I think I have in my budget, you know, I can look at, we can look at this for maybe an hour or two. Uh, if it's going to take more, let me know. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's just like anything else you might, you know, you might shop for. I mean, ask the questions about how long that will take, et cetera, if someone says, oh, this is a longer project than normal. Mm-hmm. And, you know, your attorney is going to work with you typically. Then they'll say, okay, well, you know, we don't need to write a memo on this. We'll just do the quick research. We'll shoot you the, the quick and dirty, and that'll be X, X amount of time. If you want more information, it'll be Y amount of time. I mean, there's options that are typically available even in those situations. But that's less frequent, especially in employment law. I mean, usually in employment law, you know, I spend three quarters of my day taking phone calls from clients, you know, where they're running through scenarios, running through facts, or shooting me emails and documents, and we're just talking through them. And those, you know, those are five-minute, ten-minute, you know, maybe 20, 30-minute calls on average. Mm-hmm. When folks try and handle um, – this is, I mean, this is, a, this is a huge risk that I think a lot of people take on – they – they they think it's they're perfectly good to take on responding to state and federal agencies on their own, oh, yeah. um, and and that's a lot of times they do it because they want to save money and and more mm-hmm. often than not at least it's been my experience that that does not save them money down the road. In fact, it it costs them a lot more, yeah. uh, especially if they're not experienced in dealing with state and federal agencies. Um, you know, you can, and there's varying levels of degree, you know, or varying degrees of um, assistance that attorneys can provide. I mean, you can you can have an attorney completely behind the scenes, like if you really truly want to handle it on your own and you want to interface with the state and federal agency directly, uh, you can do that. But you know. Contact your attorney beforehand, develop a strategy, talk to them about the facts, figure out, know, have them tell you what the agency is going to ask about so you're prepared and you're ready and you know what are potential uh, pitfalls or, or issues that may come up and, and how you can address them and have a strategy or a plan. Um, but even better, you know, and probably even more more preventative and, and risk limiting is to actually, you know, let your attorney assist you in that process. Like when we get to that point where someone has filed a charge or an agency has opened up an investigation, um, you know, those are fairly serious. A lot of folks, I think, underestimate, that's a mistake I see, they underestimate what, what those are about. Um, yeah. And they think it's as simple as, well, I'll just, I'll just send this letter and it's going to go away, and then it doesn't. Um, and they get us involved down the road when, you know, there's findings being made and penalties being issued. And at that point, you know, the cat's out of the bag on a lot of stuff, and it's, it's difficult to, to unwind that. Yeah. I was just thinking about a client that I had years ago that had received an EEO charge. They hadn't received the actual charge. They received the pre-charge notification. And, you know, one thing about I, I like about the EEOC is that you know, if you've been doing this for a while, you know what the steps of this process are, and, and they don't deviate. It's actually, in my opinion, right. pretty it's pretty efficient. for. I mean, it's like the only efficient thing I've seen in our government, right? But they kept saying, well, we want to send in all of this information. I'm like, don't do that. Don't, you have right. not. They have not asked you to do anything. 
And if they ask you for something, they're going to be specific about it. They're going to give you a timeline. They're going to give you a date in which you need to have it submitted by. That's what you need to take to your attorney. I mean, it's one thing to say if you get, you know, the notification of charge, it's going to give you a one-liner or probably even one word as to what it is that you should be expecting. And it's okay to, you know, just shoot an email over to the attorney and say, hey, listen, heads up, we got a, you know, notification that we're expecting an EEO charge. Great. That puts you as the attorney on early morning. The other piece of it is, is that the attorney may come back and say, okay, so when you do get that, here are the instructions I need you to follow. And that's a good practice to get into because when they get something, when you get that charge, you want to work with your attorney to actually put together the position statement. You're going to be supplying the facts. They're going to be supplying, you know, the language to put in and we'll get it sent off to the EEOC and then we wait for the next step. If you right. do that on your own, like Christine is talking about, you're inviting more problems. You're absolutely inviting more problems. And the other thing that I was thinking about earlier um, is, you know what, putting together a legal strategy with your attorney is one of the most vital things that you can think of. But when you're doing stuff like that, like Christina was mentioning earlier, when you take a, you know, like we can work with you on certain aspects, here's something that will also make your time effective with the attorney. It's okay to say, you know, when you're talking about cost and pricing and stuff like that, it's also okay to say, okay, so when do we expect to have this particular thing back? So when Christina and I have done handbooks together in the past, um, I have made it a practice to say, here's what my plan is to roll this out, which is why I'm getting so far ahead of this. Is it possible that we can have this done by this date? And she looks at her calendar <laughs> and she goes, yeah, I think we can. Or, then, or if I've asked her for it, like in 24 hours, she'll tell me I'm, I'm like on something and she'll go get tested or something like that. And then she's like, but I can do it in 72. I was like, all right, that's fine. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. No, time parameters are great because then yeah. you're not left kind of holding the bag, you know, with people that you're working with, your clients on your end, yeah. keeping them happy, getting back to them on decisions that can be made or, you know, rolling out whatever it might be. Um, you know, instead, you know, we're able to help you work within that timetable. And, and like you said, we'll try and meet it as often as we can. And if for some reason you need it faster than, than I personally can get it to you, you know, the benefit of, you know, at least for me, I mean, I, I work at a firm with 800 attorneys that do nothing but employment law. Um, we're able to call someone else in another office or look within our own office and say, hey, I need help for this, for this client and get it back to you. But we wouldn't know that you need that deadline that until you tell us. It's, it's it's not unlike anything else that you're shopping around to buy. Right. Yeah. So, and, and you know, if, it's, if there's a sense of urgency behind it, um, you know, making those preset dates out there will certainly help because otherwise, you know, they you wouldn't know. I mean, there's no way that you would know. So, very good. Well, listen, I know you've got a bunch of stuff. You probably have 17 phone calls waiting in line for you right now. So I really appreciate you taking the time today. And um, can you please let everybody know how they can get a hold of you if they're in the Virginia Hampton Roads area? And if they're not, where else can they go to seek legal guidance within Jackson Lewis? Sure. Um, they can always start with me. I'm happy to help folks no matter where you are, even if you're not in Hampton Roads or in Virginia at all. Um, I'm happy to get you in touch with my colleagues, depending on what the need is. So starting with me is a good place. Um, my email address is uh, christina.vacara at jacksonlewis.com. That's K-R-I-S-T-I-N-A dot vacara, V-A-Q-U-E-R-A at 
Jackson Lewis, J-A-C-K-S-O-N-L-E-W-I-S.com. And my direct line is 757-648-1448. That's fantastic. Well, thank you again for joining. I really do appreciate it. Sure. Thank you for having me. My goal, my passion, my commitment is to help you define your gold standard in your human capital management practices and help you solve complex problems that come with the nature of employment and managing your people and help you keep you in the know on these current and developing changes in the landscape. Now, in past episodes, I've introduced a question and answer segment, and I really want to hear your questions that you have about human resources. You can submit your question on the bestpractices.work website by clicking on the podcast link from the menu, and down towards the bottom of the page is a submission form for you to post your questions, which may be read and answered on an upcoming episode. So I had a really good question that came about, and I, I, I really want I thought this was neat, actually. Um, the question is, are there automated metrics that can gauge employee engagement? Now, employee engagement is a very serious study conducted to determine the level of engagement your workforce has in the employment landscape. And kind of depending upon how you want to use it, um, it's certainly something, in my opinion, from having done employment engagement surveys in the past, that you want to make sure that you're using a validated survey for sure, because in that way it quantifies effectively the actual result. So I have never seen anything that is an automated metric out there. Everything I've seen has been put out there, it's been studied, it's been researched. They, they kind of have a tendency to pretty much look the same. Um, they do tend to flow a little similarly, like Gallup has the Q12, which is 12 questions, and the very first question is, you know, who's your best friend at work? And the intention of that question, although it can seem a little uh, not very specific, but it's intended to actually identify if employees have somebody that they can go to on a regular basis and ask questions. So when you're looking at different types of employee engagement surveys, they're covering things such as, you know, what are your, what is your opinion on, you know, your benefits programs, your compensation package, do you feel safe at work, do you get the right amount of communication, and that's all really helpful information, so there's really no automated metric that can capture things like that. There is, however, metrics that you can put in place. It doesn't necessarily measure a person's level of intrinsic engagement, and intrinsic meaning what's important to them, but it does have a tendency to measure whether or not they are hitting the marks on their work, and that's KPIs, key performance indicators, and those are going to be practiced because those are going to be put in place in identifying things that actually move your business forward. Um, it could be revenue generation, it could be client retention, it could be you know a breakdown in dollars to sales to turnover. That's a different type. I mean, you can tell if your employees are engaged in the actual body of work, but what we were really talking about is engaged in the overall employment landscape and of the actual company itself. So unfortunately, no. I mean, your question's great. I have yet to see any automated metric 
that can actually gauge employee engagement. I think you have to really dig in to figure out exactly what it is that you want to measure, um, the frequency of when it's going to happen, and what you're going to do with the outcome. That's, that's the key thing. So, I mean, to have information is great. To have information and never do anything about it, bad, bad, bad. Okay, we don't want to do that. So what if there was a way that you could tap into answers to really difficult questions like this one? Um, I was very fortunate early in my HR career to have exposure to some really talented leaders and many times I just sat and soaked in the information that they shared and the decisions that they made and how they made them and why they made them and how they addressed them. So I consider myself to be extremely fortunate to have been part of uh, something pretty amazing like that. I'm offering you a similar opportunity. Starting this upcoming Tuesday, Grab your coffee and join me at 10 a.m. on Instagram Live and Facebook Live for a 30-minute open Q&A session. Now, this is an opportunity to get answers to your questions that pertain to managing your workforce in the human resource function. And you can follow me on both Instagram and Facebook at Best Practices in HR. And, you know, I really appreciate these questions. Now, we haven't necessarily gotten uh, people jumping in, and it could just you know, not be the right time, but here's the thing. I actually take the information and post it on a YouTube on our YouTube live channel best practices where you can actually look at the recap of that and, and even though we may not necessarily have people jumping in and that's fine because this is a relatively new thing I'm still bringing questions to the table so we're not just idly chatting and waiting for people to jump in I'm actually providing uh, information for you some in some really really good content so for those of you who are writing in, thank you for your questions. This was really awesome. Please keep them coming. I want to know what you're saying. And if you're watching the YouTube recap, I want to hear your feedback. You know, please leave a comment. I'd really like to hear what you guys think of that. So as promised earlier in the show, we have a free resource for you. Um, I'm continuing to provide you with the Strikeforce Energy Drink bonus offering. I've mentioned Strikeforce Energy Drinks in many podcasts since January. And we're going to be giving you an opportunity to save some money while you kick the can to other energy drinks in the market. Strikeforce Energy is a sugar-free, no-calorie, healthier alternative to other energy drinks that are out there. And you can choose from the individual packets and their pump bottles found in four different flavors. And as always, I still love the grape. Make America grape again. So visit StrikeForceEnergy.com and enter in the new and updated code AFL, that's Alpha Foxtrot Lima Brenda, B-R-E-N-D-A, my name, 455. The whole code again is AFL Brenda 455 to receive 20% off the retail price of Strikeforce. And you can also find information about Strikeforce on our affiliates page at bestpractices.org. Now lastly, I have a free gift that I'd like to give you. I personally know how confusing it is to keep track of all the compliance deadlines required in this field, as well as how and when to find the time to engage in all the other proactive HR pieces. I've created an HR calendar for 2019 that lists all the compliance deadlines to relieve the tension of having to figure these things out for yourself. And honestly, I cannot believe that it's May. <laughs> it's already May. It's amazing. So the calendar includes mandatory filing deadlines, nationally recognized holidays, as well as a few best practice recommendations added in. It's a bunch of compliance information consolidated in one page where you can print it, pin it up your, in your office, and use it as a tool to help you keep all of the components of HR together and connected. So to download this free tool, visit the website at bestpractices.org and click on the link at the bottom of the page. 
And that's all the time we have today. And, and if you really liked what you heard, you know you need to stay up to date on important changes and continue to get advice on how to work with them. Then visit bestpractices.org, click subscribe, and sign up today to have my best practices delivered to your inbox. And we're going to go ahead and close on the quote of the day. And this is written by Jimmy Dean. I can't change the direction of the wind, but I can adjust my sails to always reach my destination. Thank you so much again, folks, for joining. I'm really grateful, and I will talk to you again real soon.